I have a message. God's been working this one in my life for a while now. And I shared it a couple times in our prayer meetings. That recently God has given me a revelation. How many of you want a revelation from God? This is not something up here. It's something that gets down here. It changes you, your perspective, the decisions, the choices you make. It changes your whole worldview. Are you ready? The revelation I got was that Jesus is Lord. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, it's funny, right? Well, pastor, it took you 42 years to get that one? Maybe. I'm not talking about up here. I'm talking about really understanding what that means. and That's what we're going to talk about today. And the title of my message is Lord of All or Not Lord at All. Lord of All or Not Lord at All. And we begin in the book of Joshua. I like this. Chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Israel, after 40 years in the desert, they have finally crossed the river Jordan into the promised land. Moses is dead and gone. His replacement, Joshua, is now at the helm. He's leading them in to conquer the promised land. And they've come to a place which you've surely heard of before. Jericho. What's the first word comes to your mind when you hear Jericho? Walls, right? Big walls. Well, God wanted to get something straight with Joshua before they dealt with the walls. Okay? This is before the walls come down in chapter 6. We're in chapter 5 from verse 13. Are you ready? Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? I love the answer. Neither. Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, you have to think about a couple of things here. This is no ordinary man. Matter of fact, some of the Bible translations have gone ahead and capitalized the pronouns that are referring to this man. He looked up and saw a man, capital M, in the New King James Version. 
The commander of the army of the Lord. Commander capitalized. Who is this man that Joshua has encountered? Now, you have to hand it to Joshua. This guy's got guts. Maybe a little too much. But he's got boldness. God's got the right man to be the commander of the armies of Israel. And when he meets this dude, he says, Hey, you for us or for them? Very quickly, this man puts Joshua in his place. What's his place? Face down on the ground. That's what a revelation of Jesus Christ is Lord will do for you. You will find yourself face down on the ground. You're no longer the commander. You're no longer in charge. This was a very important moment before Jericho was to be conquered. Joshua had to get this right first. And this question is very fascinating. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. You see, Joshua was asking the wrong question. And very often we're asking the wrong question. It's not, Lord, are you on my side? Are you taking up my cause? Are you going to fight for my project? See, the question is, are we on the Lord's side? That's what Moses asked the whole nation in Exodus 32. He drew a line in the sand and he said, whoever's on the Lord's side, come over here. In this political season, here's a question some might be asking. God, are you a Republican or a Democrat? God, are you going to vote for Hillary or Donald? I think I know his answer. Neither. Neither. God, are you for Black Lives Matter? White Lives Matter? Or blue lives matter? No. My point is, we try to bring God down to our level. He's trying to get us up to His level. It's not about what we want, our agenda, our little pet thing. It's about finding out what His will and plan is and signing up. I'm on the Lord's side now. God... Are you for the Redskins? Yes. I think I heard him say yes this morning. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. I don't think God cares too much about Republican, Democrat, and all the stuff we get all heated up about. God is excited about His plan. His plan is marching on. Some are signing up. Some are dropping out. The question this morning is not, God, are you for my 
political party or for my football team or for my X, Y, or Z, am I for the Lord? Are you for us or our enemies? Neither. But as commander, I have now come. I like that. Joshua is the commander of Israel. It's very clear in the scripture. He's the commander of the armies of Israel. But this is a bigger commander. This is the commander of the army of the Lord. What's, what's the army of the Lord? This was another army that Joshua was going to need in his conquest of Canaan. This was an angelic army. He's the commander of the Lord's hosts, the Lord's armies in heaven. That commander has now come. Joshua's response leaves no doubt about who this commander is. He fell face down to the ground in reverence. In the original Hebrew, it's worship. Most of the translations say he fell down and worshipped. If this was a, a human commander or even an angel, they would have refused that worship. Because that would be idolatry. This commander did not refuse what Joshua did. It was appropriate. He fell face down to the ground in reverence. And then he has one more question. This one's a little different. It's not, are you for us or for our enemies? It's, notice how things have changed. What message does my Lord have for his commander? No, 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 no. For his servant. Now we've got Joshua from being commander of the armies of Israel, he's on his face as a servant before this great commander, waiting for instructions. He would get them a little later on. March around the city seven times. You know the whole story. This isn't about what I think we should do now as the leader, as the commander. What is your message for me, my Lord? You see, God is for us whenever we're for Him. All things work together for good. All things, you know I'm going to do this. What's all things mean? Come on, that wasn't loud enough. What's all things mean? All things work together for good. For everyone, right? That's usually where it ends on the plaques you buy in the Christian bookstores. All things work together for good. No, they don't. They don't always do that. They work together for good for a very special group of people. Those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So if you're in God's purpose, He's for you. No weapon formed against you can prosper. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You can tread on serpents and scorpions. You can leap over a wall. You can do anything he tells you to do. What message does my Lord have? What was the message? 
Where have we heard this before? Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. Moses at the burning bush maybe met the same man. What what is with this take off the sandals? Now I know in certain cultures, I, I spent six months or more in India, they do it in Sri Lanka and a number of other countries. It's just kind of a sign of respect when you get to a home. Certainly if you get to any kind of a temple or a religious institution, you take off your shoes. Now in India, that was a bit of a challenge. Because some of the conventions I preached at had 25,000 people. And I didn't wear regular street shoes like this. We all wore sandals. And can you imagine trying to find your pair of sandals after the convention is over in the midst of 25,000 pairs? You often went home with a different pair you came with. It might have been better than the one you came with, and you were happy. Praise the Lord. Spiritually, there may be a number of meanings to this. I'll tell you what it means to me. It's very simple. Your walk needs to change. Shoes speak about your walk. The way you've been walking, Joshua, it's going to change now. Take it off. I'm in charge now. I'm the commander. You're the servant. You see, the whole relationship changed just when he got this revelation of my Lord. My Lord. That's why I said earlier, When you really get a revelation that Jesus Christ is your Lord, it's not something up here. He's your master. Your whole life now has to fall in line with what he's saying. And you might just hear him whisper to you, get those shoes off. The way you've been walking, the way you've been thinking, the way you've been behaving, it needs to change. We were praying about this Friday night. My preaching to you is not going to change you. Uh Uh-oh. Why am I here? I just lost my job. Well, my job is very limited, really. I speak to you the Word of God. Hopefully you get a little bit more understanding about a few things. And then you go home, and that's where the real work begins. You get down on your knees. You fast. You pray. You cry out to God, Lord, change me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I'm too selfish. I'm too proud. I get angry too quickly. I'm full of prejudice and bitterness. And I can't forgive people. Change me. That's when things really start to happen. And that will only happen when you realize he's my Lord now. He's telling me my walk has to change. Now, Let's transition to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other tongues. And the whole city of Jerusalem was set on fire. Peter, the same Peter that a few weeks earlier had denied Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know him. Never heard of him. Can you imagine? 
This is the same Peter that said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Wow, good job, Peter. You didn't figure that one out. The Father revealed that one to you. And by the way, Peter, I'm giving you keys to the kingdom. No, I don't know him. Never been with him. And the Bible says he actually called down curses. <laughs> Same Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up first on the day of Pentecost and says, Hold on, give me your attention up here. I'm going to explain to you what's happening here. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I've been liking this one, especially as we're praying for our children and our young people. What's the very first thing that happens after that? I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Say it loud with me. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We have this totally messed up idea. When I say we, I mean everybody. We have this messed up idea that, well, you know, you don't really do anything for Christ until you're a full-grown adult, maybe 30 years old. Until then, you just screw around and play football and, and go out and have dates and stuff. But teenagers never really do much for the Lord. Lie, lie, lie. We're not going to accept that anymore. Our sons and our daughters will prophesy. All of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great will be the peace of your children, Isaiah said. So, this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit has come. Peter stands up and he starts to preach to them. And basically his sermon went something like this. God sent his son. He proved who he was with signs and wonders and miracles. You rejected him, you betrayed him, and you murdered him. But God raised him from the dead. Now, how's that going to go over in a Jewish crowd? You murdered him. God's son, you murdered him. Bible says they were cut to the heart. Oh, the Holy Spirit is working here. Jesus said, when the Counselor comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. They're coming under conviction. Wow, we killed the Son of God. We chose Barabbas over the Holy One. And in the middle of that sermon, Jesus is raised up in such a way through the preaching of Peter, they couldn't deny that he was just some other prophet. Listen to these words. We're going to pick it up in Acts 2, verse 32. Read the whole story for yourself when you get home. Acts 2, 32. Matter of fact, you can start reading the whole book of Acts because that's our next Wednesday night Bible study series. We're going through all 28 chapters. Okay, ready? God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Key word in the book of Acts. Witnesses. 
This wasn't hearsay. These were eyewitnesses. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, and now he's quoting from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see, when you're confronted with the facts that God has now made Jesus Lord of all, you got to do something about it. You can't say, oh, that was a good message. Yeah, that was nice. It doesn't work that way. This kind of a message demands a response from your life. What do I do about this information? God has made Jesus Lord of all now. What shall I do? Do I pick and choose? Maybe sometimes I listen to him, sometimes I don't. Maybe I kind of run my own life and then I show up in church once a month because I need his blessing on what I'm doing. Listen to the words, on what I'm doing. We got it all wrong. He's Lord. Fall face down. What is my Lord saying to me? What is the message from my Lord today. Now, Peter, who's preaching here, would have remembered this passage from Psalm 110 because Jesus used it when he was here on earth. It's recorded in the Gospels. Look in Matthew 22, starting at verse 41, to see how he used it. It's a very peculiar prophecy. The Lord said... To my Lord. Two different Lords here. The Lord said to my Lord. Matthew 22, 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Christ is another word for Messiah. Anointed one. Whose son is he? Oh, they knew all this. They were experts. They knew the answer to this one. He's the son of David. That's right. Then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit in Psalm 110, which we're about to see again, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? Now stop for a minute. We've got a problem here. Now, all right, I'll use Emmanuel. He's old enough to understand. You're Nigel's son, right? But if Jesus is the son of, of David, 
Who's really in charge here? Normally speaking, who should be in charge? The Father, right? But in this case, your Lord, don't take this home, <laughs> your Lord over Nigel. How is it then that David calls him Lord? For he says, and here we go again from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, David is referring to Jesus here as my Lord, The Lord, the Father God, said to my Lord, Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love it. I love it. So basically, Peter had heard Jesus using this passage. He knew what it meant. He knew that the Lord said to my Lord is referring to Christ sitting at the right hand of God. And basically, it shows that Jesus is both Son of David, Messiah, Christ, God's Son, and Lord. Did you get that? He's all of the above. The word Lord we use so casually. And it's funny, you even see this in the Bible sometimes, when the Lord was directing people to do things, they argue with Him. But Lord! Think about those two words. But Lord! In the olden days when they had kings, the king calls you in and says, Subject Quasi, go get me water now. But King, how long would his head be resting on the top of his vertical column? Maybe 15 seconds? We need to stop the but Lord and just say, yes, Lord. The word Lord in all of these passages that we've been looking at is a Greek word. It's easy, so I'll tell it to you. You might remember it. Kyrios. It sounds like curious, but it's spelled differently with a K. Kyrios. I know you would like to know what it means, right? Its real meaning is supreme in authority. Supreme in authority. Now, Governing rulers, policemen, mayors, presidents, all these different people, they have a measure of authority. Kings have authority. But we're talking about supreme in authority. This is authority over all other authority. That's what is implied every time we use the word Lord. Now think about how silly that sounds. But Lord, I really don't want to do what you told me. But Lord, supreme in authority, 
You see, what Peter was showing here is God has now exalted Jesus to his right hand, fulfilling Psalm 110. He has now made him Lord. That's why he said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. We were singing earlier those words that come from the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has spent 40 days with the apostles, teaching them about the kingdom of God convincing them with many proofs that he's risen from the dead. Now he's about to ascend back into heaven. And just before his feet lift off the ground, he leaves them with these final words. Got it? Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, Oh, that, wait, that's pathetic. Jesus came and said to them, All authority. Only the Lord has that kind of authority. No one else does. The Supreme Court doesn't. The President doesn't. No king, no tyrant, no dictator does. Only the Lord has supreme authority. This is another way of stating it. All authority, and he wants to cover all the bases in heaven and on earth. They needed this before he gets to the next part. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. Say therefore. 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 What's the therefore, therefore? It's referring to what he, what he just said. All authority. You can't go, you can't do, you can't preach, you can't fulfill the call of God on your life unless you get verse 18. No wonder these guys had such boldness in the early church, standing up to the Sanhedrin, standing up to their persecutors and their arresters, and they said, oh, you can't talk about this Jesus anymore. Well, we'll see about that. We have to obey God rather than men. And they kept right on preaching. That's where they got the boldness. They knew the one they were serving had all authority. The Sanhedrin didn't have all authority. The high priest didn't have all authority. All authority has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if indeed Jesus is Lord with supreme authority, with all authority, let's consider the implications of that on your life and my life. Okay? First of all, as I've been mentioning, all other authorities, policemen, mayors, governors, tyrants, kings, presidents, you can name anyone you want, 
all other authorities, including Satan, demonic powers, sicknesses, fill in the blank. Anything else that has power and authority is lesser. He's the supreme authority. So the first implication here is all other authorities are subject to him. Why do we fear those authorities more than we fear God? That's what the apostles were speaking about in the early church. When they were arrested, they got out of prison. They said, you keep preaching, you're going right back in there. We can't stop. We have to obey God rather than you. Hmm. Well, you don't know what kind of power we have. We can throw you back in the clink. Maybe. God can let us out again, too. In Acts 9, we read the story of Saul, who later became Paul. I love this story. Acts 9, 1 to 6. All right, here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. This is a key word in the book of Acts. They often use threats to stop the message, to shut down the preaching of the gospel. Threats. Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters. Now, it might be hard for us to understand what, what are these letters. This was basically kind of like a warrant for arrest. They, he's got authority now. It's sealed. He's got the paperwork granting him the authority to lock these guys up. Went to the high priest, asked him for letters, actually the message Bible does say arrest warrants, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Boy, that would empty the church out. How many here are real followers of Jesus? I got arrest warrants for you. <laughs> it is coming. No joking. It's coming. It's coming. This week I was immersed in the book of Acts. Hours and hours just praying over it. And again, I found my heart just crying out to God. Where is this church? Where is this power? You know what he said? It's in you. It's in you. But then he whispered a little something else to me that was a bit disturbing at first. He says, you want what they have in the book of Acts. You want all the anointing. You want all the miracles. You want the signs and wonders. You want the church growth. But it comes in a whole package. And another important part of the package is persecution. Opposition. 
arrest, martyrdom, threats. That's what's going on here. Paul, here he's still known as Saul of Tarsus, he's got letters, he's got authority from Jerusalem to arrest any Christian believer. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. See if you remember this next part. Where do we next see him? On the ground. Isn't that interesting? Where did Joshua end up? On the ground. Where will you and I end up when we get a revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord of all? On the ground. Done with our plans, our agenda, our life, what I want. And all we're saying is, Lord, what is your message to your servant? He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him. Oh boy, hearing voices now. He's losing it. Saul, Saul. Now, let me pause here for a minute. This only happens about six or seven times in the scriptures. When God calls your name twice, you better stop. You better freeze. Once is enough. But when you hear, Moses, Moses! Samuel, Samuel! Martha, Martha! You better stop. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Go to verse 5. Who are you, comma, Lord? Uh, Paul, I think you just answered your own question. You got it. You're dealing with the Lord. That's why you're on your face on the ground. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice, when people persecute you or me or any member of the body of Christ, Jesus takes it very personally. Our brothers and sisters that have been beheaded in the Middle East in recent months, you think Jesus is just casually looking the other way? I think we can prove from uh, what happened in Acts 7 when Stephen died as the first martyr in the church, Jesus stood up. He's seated at the right hand of majesty on high, but I believe every martyr is welcomed into heaven by him standing. You're persecuting me, Saul. Whatever you're doing to these churches, to these Christians, you're doing to me. Now, in verse 6, as we saw in the case of Joshua, you can kind of sense... The whole thing has shifted here. 
Remember, Paul, he's got all this authority, arrest warrants, breathing out threats. Man, he's in charge. All of a sudden, you get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. <laughs> Who's in charge here? The Lord. The Lord. Oh, God can put you in your place real fast. He can put you in your place real fast. Oh, I'm in charge here. I'm da 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 All God has to do is go, ah, and you're on your face. What do you want, Lord? <laughs> What's your message? I'm not going to tell you right now. You go into the city and it will be told you. Wow. Who are you? Lord, <laughs> around about that time, I think Paul was probably thinking, oops, I'm in trouble. This is not going down real well. <laughs> I don't think he's too worried about his arrest warrants now. The Lord is suddenly in charge of this whole situation, and he's certainly in charge of Saul. The people we fear who go around with threats. Oh, we're going to pass a new law. You won't be able to say the name of Jesus anymore in America. Oh, really? No, I'm making that up, but it might come. Similar things are happening in other countries. Laws against converting anyone. Laws against preaching. It's coming here. It's coming here. It has to come here. But if we know the Lord who called us fearlessly and boldly, we can keep proclaiming his name. Second implication here, if Jesus is Lord with supreme authority, it's implied already in the verses we just read, but let me spell it out a little bit more clearly. If he's Lord with supreme authority, we must obey him. We can't have what Chuck Colson used to refer to as salad bar Christianity. You know, we go down, oh, I like that kind of lettuce. I don't like carrots. I don't like broccoli. I like this. I, I don't like that kind of dressing. I'll put this on, but not that. And we do the same thing. We read the Bible. God says, do this. No, no, I don't like that. God says, do that. No, I don't like that. God says, do that. No, nobody else is doing that. What are we left with? The title of my message. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If we're still going on and on with this, but Lord, I got my plans, I got my schedule, I got my agenda, well, maybe he isn't Lord. Probably the scariest passage in the Bible for me is Matthew 7, 21 to 23. You know it. Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone. Say, not everyone. Uh-oh. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now that's good. That's a good place to start. Call him Lord. But not everyone who simply says to me, 
Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This ties it all together. If he's Lord, he has all authority. He's supreme in authority. And if he tells you what his will is, and we say, oh, I don't like that, we got a problem. Because only those that do the will of the Father and obey the Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 22, probably the most troubling part of this passage is the first word. Many. Say it with me. Many. Many, again, will say. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Notice Jesus does not come back and say, oh, come on, you guys never did that stuff. Apparently they did. Apparently... I can still prophesy, cast out demons, and even perform miracles and still hear this verdict. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The word evildoer is really not a very good translation. It's the word lawless ones. They were not willing to obey the laws of the kingdom. They wanted to do it their way. And that's the spirit of the age. My way, my way, my way. No wonder so many marriages are breaking up. You put a man and a woman in one house and they're both saying, my way, my way, my way. What's going to happen? You're going to have an explosion. How about husband and wife getting down on the ground like Joshua and Saul and saying, Father, not my way, your way. I'm tired of fighting for my own way. Have your way. And you know, it's really a very peaceful life when you stop fighting for your way. And you know, The word became very famous in recent years, especially with young people. Whatever. And you know, you got to roll the eyes and the whole body language goes with it. You know, Johnny, take out the trash. Whatever. You didn't clean your room this week. Whatever. But there's a different way of saying that word. God, whatever. Whatever. I'm yielded, I'm clay in the potter's hand, have your way, whatever you want. Finally, my message wouldn't be complete unless we turn to Romans 10. A portion of scripture that's often used in evangelism, it's found in almost every gospel tract, it's used on all the TV shows, when they're trying to uh, invite somebody to become a Christian. Let's look at this passage, though. Romans 10, starting with verse 8. Romans 10, starting with verse 8. 
you'll recognize the passage as we read it. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth... What? Paul chose those words very carefully. He could have said, if you say with your mouth, I am a Christian, or I want to follow Jesus, or Jesus is my Savior. No. Every word is important. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, supreme authority. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I'm not trying to be critical today, but I am trying to make sure we rightly divide the word of truth. And I, I need to say this just so that we understand the full power of these words. Jesus is my Lord. He's my supreme commander. He runs my life. It is often stated in evangelism, in books and gospel tracts, something like the following. Accept Jesus into your heart and make him Lord of your life. I heard it this week on the TV. Accept Jesus into your heart, and make him Lord of your life. Sounds pretty good, right? No, it's wrong. Two things are wrong about it. Number one, you know, when it says, accept Jesus, it's kind of like my mother saying, you eat that asparagus or else. Well, i got to accept it. There's nothing hard about accepting Jesus. The message of the gospel is repent of your sins so he will accept you. Yes, we are to receive Christ into our life. But the next part's even more disturbing. We don't make him Lord. <laughs> make him Lord. Who made him Lord? Acts 2.36 was very clear. God made him Lord. Sit at my right hand until all of your enemies become your footstool. Raised him from the dead and exalted him to his right hand as Lord. We don't accept Jesus and make him Lord of our life. We repent so he will accept us and we bow our knees because he is Lord. He is Lord. You're not going to make him any more Lord than he already is. <laughs> He's either Lord of all, 
or not Lord at all. And this is something you need to take home and really ponder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you some homework. I want you to really process this this week and think about the implications. Is Jesus really the Lord of my life? I'll help you with a couple things. Is he in charge of my schedule? My time? Can he overrule my plans with his plan? Here comes a tough one. Is he in charge of my pocketbook? My wallet? Hmm. Hmm. Real quiet. You see, he's not Lord of all unless we let him into all. Every part of our life. He's Lord of my time. He's Lord of my car. He's Lord of my money. He's Lord of my schedule. He's Lord of my future. You know, some of us have our future so well mapped out, even if an angel of God came with a tablet and said, here's the plan, he'd say, no, 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 that doesn't fit in. What message does my Lord have for his servant? That's the right response. If you understand this revelation, Jesus is my Lord. You haven't accepted Him. He's accepted you into the Beloved. He's forgiven your sins. He shed His blood on the cross to open up a new and a living way so you can come into the presence of the Father. He's poured out His Holy Spirit in you and in me, so that we can sing that song, we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Therefore, we can go now knowing He has all authority, all power in heaven and on earth. Please stand with me. Father, give us a revelation of who Jesus is. Not something that we saw in a Sunday school book or a cartoon, but a revelation of the one whose eyes are like coals of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, his face shining like the sun, the exalted Son of God, the exalted King of kings and Lord of all lords, the one with supreme authority. Give us that revelation, O oh God. And let our lives change. Let us assume the posture that Joshua and Saul of Tarsus took, face down what is your message to me? What is your will for my life? What is it that you're calling me to? What is it that I'm here for? Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. And now be Lord of my life. Be Lord of my family. 
my home, my possessions, my ministry, my job, my money, my future, everything. You are Lord. I surrender. I surrender. You have supreme authority. Help me to live and to walk in obedience as I trust you, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Father, bless each and every one here today. Make this word a part of our lives. And in days and weeks to come, let us see a change in our attitudes, in our choices, in our walk. Let us take off those old sandals and begin a new walk with you. We praise you. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.